Managing your law practice can be challenging. Marketing, time management, attracting clients, and all the things besides the cases that you need to do that aren't billable. Welcome to this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. This is where you'll get the information you need from expert guests and host Christopher Anderson, here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast, helping attorneys achieve more success. We're glad you can listen today on the Legal Talk Network. I am your host, Christopher Anderson. I am an attorney with a singular passion for helping other lawyers be more successful with their law firm businesses. My team at How to Manage a Small Law Firm and I work directly with lawyers across the country to help them achieve success as they define it. In the Unbillable Hour, each month we explore an area important to growing revenues, giving you back more of your time, and or improving your professional satisfaction in one of the key areas of your business. As an attorney who has built and managed my own law firms in Georgia and New York City, I now get to work with hundreds of law firm owners to help them grow professionally and personally. I start with a fundamental premise that a law firm business exists primarily to provide for the financial, personal, and professional needs of you, its owner. In this program, I have a chance to speak to you, as I do in presentations across the country, about what it takes to build and operate your law firm like the business that it is. I have a chance to introduce you to a new guest each month to talk about how to make that business work for you instead of the other way around. Today's episode of the Unbillable Hour is the habits of success. One of the topics we cover is regarding the one source of all the problems in your business, which is also the source of every solution and growth and success of your business, namely you. Key to the success of any law firm business is the owner of that business. Everything that happens is an expression of your goals or lack thereof for what the business is supposed to do for you. My guest today is Martin Hurwitz. Martin works with attorneys on changing their thinking in order to achieve their goals. In his earlier career as a Hollywood agent, Martin discovered that if he didn't change his client's mindset, he couldn't help his clients achieve better outcomes. When he can do that with attorneys, the result is effective, long-lasting change and successful outcomes. We're going to discuss this very important aspect of managing your law firm business in The Habits of Success. So, Martin, welcome to the Unbillable Hour. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for being here. So, first off, my introduction is really brief. You run a business called Transitioneering, but could you just explain briefly for the listeners, what does your business do for law firm owners? Uh, We help the owners of a law firm envision their success, see where they'd like to be, and help create the processes and habits that will get them there with the least amount of stress and highest degree of efficiency. Cool, and in that rubric of your business, you have a concept that you've written about, um, I read on your uh, LinkedIn profile, called conceptioneering. What is that exactly? Well, it's helping our clients reconceive who they are where they want to be, getting in touch with their strengths, which is a very important tenant of what we do. Mm -hmm. And by getting in touch with your strengths, we help you learn how to leverage those to help guide you to where you want to be. We believe in decision-making that comes from confidence, not from fear. 
Yeah, and that's really important. When you know your strengths, you can do that. So as I was reading through some of the things that you've written, I came across a question that intrigued me and, and some of your writings on it. And that's when you're working with attorneys, one of the questions that you often start out with is, when does your work day begin? So first of all, why is this such an important question? Well, it has to do with your frame of mind and are you starting out your day in control or are you starting your, out your day by being reactive? And you're kind of setting the tone for the rest of your day. So I'm always interested in how people respond to this. And when I speak to large groups or work with my individual clients, the answer is usually the same. Well, mm -hmm. I either start my day when I'm driving to work or when I get in the office. And my response is really they go yeah and my question is all right what's your morning routine and 99 percent of the time after a few whys and digging a little deeper here's what we come up with well i get out of bed and i look at my phone mm -hmm. why do you look at your phone well i have to check my emails because well if something needs to be dealt with, I certainly don't want to miss it. So already you're starting your day concerned about what you're going to miss and the fact that you're not in control of it. So they're barely rolling out of bed, checking their email on their phone, and yet they're telling you that their workday doesn't begin till they hit the office, but you're seeing something different. Exactly. So they're not controlling. They're not cognizant. They're not aware of when they're doing what. So yeah, what? how does this impact their day their, their, and their business? Well, here's how it impacts your day. It, it's very important to be present so you can give your full attention to whatever it is you're doing. The next question becomes, well, you read those emails and what do you do about them? 99% of the time is, well, I really don't do anything about them until I get to work and then I answer them. So what does that mean? That means from the time you wake up to the time you get to the office, you're thinking about the worst emails you read. You're not thinking about the good ones because there's nothing you have to deal with. Mm -hmm. You're thinking about the ones that may perhaps be an issue for yeah. you. And you've basically created in your mind now something, an unfinished something, an un something that you are now anticipating dealing with but not dealing with. Exactly. And that will get us to what is stress. But the other thing that happens is because that's in the back of your mind, you cannot fully be present and enjoy reading the paper in the morning if that's what you do. Being with your kids in the morning before they go to school if that's what you do. Having a cup of coffee if that's what you do. I see. So like you've done this, right? So now you've put your phone down. And, you know, if this sounds like I'm describing something that actually happens in my life, it's because I am, right? So you put your phone down, you go and you, you make some oatmeal on the stove for your kids, and you sit down at the dining room table so you're having some, quote, family time with the kids, and you sit there and stare at them eating their oatmeal while your mind, my mind, is going over that email, going over that unfinished business instead of really paying attention, asking them about what's coming up in their day and being really reflective for them. And present. And, and the real issue is, how does it add value to your life 
to be thinking about this and dwelling on this before you're going to do anything about it. If you're not going to do it, why allow it to take something away from you? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's just so important. It's so easy to fall into that pattern too. I mean, I can totally understand what you're saying now. Like you've created this thing and you, you, you use the word stress. And I'm going to ask you about that in a moment, but you've created this, this tension in your brain, in your mind, that's keeping you from being present. Yes. And what it does is it creates the mindset to welcome stress and anxiety into your life. Martin, you in talking about the patterns in the morning of, you know, checking your cell phone and then not being present, we talked about that creating a tension in your mind and you used the word stress. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, first of all, what is stress and what causes stress in attorneys? Well, stress and anxiety very much dovetailed. We are, and it's important to understand this, we may be the only beings on the planet that are prescient. As humans, we're capable of time travel. And what do I mean by that? Yeah. We can choose to live in the past. We can choose to live in the future. Or we can choose to live in the present. Mm -hmm. Well, when we live in the future, what we are doing is assuming certain outcomes are going to happen. And without the appropriate confidence and with a degree of fear, the outcomes we remember and the outcomes we assume are negative ones. Mm. Now, if I were to say to you, hey, Chris, I have some things to talk to you about next week. And it has to do with the fact that you won a million dollars in the lottery. I doubt you would have any stress about the meeting. Right. But if there were something at stake between you and I, and I said, Chris, there's something we need to talk about next week. Please come and see me at 10 o'clock on Friday. Oh, I hate when people do that. Because, and maybe you can make the point for me, because you assume what? It's going to be something bad. Yeah, if, if, if it's this meeting in the future, and you use it, especially when people use those words, is there something we need to talk about? I guess experience tells me that that almost is never a good conversation. And so it causes me stress. Because your assumption is it's going to be bad. Yes. It's going to be something you don't want. Now, between the now and the time of that meeting, is there anything you can do that's going to change what a third party is intending to say to you? Probably not. Yeah, very unlikely. So all it's going to do is add anxiety and stress, keep you away from doing as good a job and being as productive as you can be by being present. Mm -hmm. Right. In dealing with the task at hand. Right. So you're saying that's a way that a bad way that we live in the future, right? We're worried about what's going to happen and we usually put a negative connotation on it. And so we're not being present now because we're worried about the future. Right. I, and I, I prefer not to use the word good or bad mm -hmm. because it's not good to live in the future, only assuming good things also. It's dysfunctional to live in the future. It's the way I like to think about it. It okay. is most productive to live in the present. That doesn't mean 
we shouldn't be prepared for the future. But what people need to understand is the future is an unknown and we cannot plan for an unknown. But we can be prepared for the unknown. We can have certain tools in the ready at our disposal. We go to court. We can't be prepared for everything the judge is going to say, but we can have a body of knowledge so that we have the tools to draw upon to answer what we need to answer, to present our client's case. And ironically, if we are more present and not living too much in the future, our preparation will probably improve for that. Exactly. Yeah. So this, I mean, to me, this ties into the conversation we were having earlier, right? So what I'm actually doing when I look at that phone is I am creating, I am bringing myself, I am force causing myself to live in the future by checking that cell phone because I'm going to deal with it later, not now. Right. You're not going to resolve it now. So you're starting out your day by creating the mindset of living in the future at the expense of what's going on now. Sure. And then you said that we're the only species that's prescient, but also you said that we can time travel in the past. Is that also a source of stress? Yeah, it, it can be a source of stress. If, we, if we're reacting to things happening in the present as if they were happening in the past, it is because we're not seeing our current situation through clear lenses. We're filtering actually what is happening through an event in the past. Got it. We are assuming once again certain things will happen. Uh, a third party is saying something that they may not be saying. So we need to be as clear-minded about the present as possible. Got it. Cool. All right. So that really helps about you know does that as a source of stress. So what are some ways that you can recommend to the listeners about how they as business owners, as they as attorneys, can better handle that stress? Because I think you know it's all good to say we'll just be in the present, but the stress still seems to come. How is it best handled? Well, let, let's talk about this in a bifurcated way. Sure. And, and it's interesting, Chris, and it's one of the things I want to point out is the first way you described your listeners is as law attorneys. Mm -hmm. But it's very important that the attorney business owner learn to think of himself as a manager. Okay. Two very different skill sets in an odd way. But let's talk about how to relieve stress on just as an individual. Okay. And then and then we can talk about it as a manager because I think that's really important. Yeah. So those of us who exercise a lot know that when we work one muscle group really hard, how can we rest it? Well, we don't use that muscle group for a period of 24 hours. We use an opposite muscle group. Well, your brain works the same way. It has two, on a very basic level, it has two distinct parts. Mm -hmm. One is the emotional, rational brain, the prefrontal cortex. That's the higher thinking intellectual level. 
And the other is a little walnut in the back of your brain down by your spine called the amygdala. And that's that reptilian part of your brain. That's the fight or flight. Mm -hmm. That's the very emotional part of your brain. So if you're sitting in your office and you've been hyper-focused on something for an hour, an hour and a half, how can you rest your brain? And when I say rest, I mean refresh. Sure. What's the best way to refresh your brain? Use the opposite part of it, just like when you're exercising your body. So what does that mean? It means you don't want to do something that is about future thinking, planning, making lists, any of that. What can you do? Go for a five-minute walk. But don't right. go for a walk and think about what you're going to do. Go for a walk. Just take some deep breaths and relax. You like listening to music? Just listen to music for four minutes. Close your eyes. And your That's brain just, will become refreshed. And you'll be able to be refocused. You'll get so much more done. Okay, yeah. So this is you're saying this is a way to intentionally rest that and it's funny because that's uh, in my head that we were going. I, I thought we were going in a different place, which is, you know, after what you said, and you said, you know, you're doing there, you're doing that hard work, the intellectual work, and then, like, I also noticed that that part of the brain can be tired and not want to and react badly to additional stimulation on the thinking part of the brain, right? If someone interrupts you and asks you to be think about something different. Um, or you move from that task into another task, your effectiveness goes down. Yeah, because you're not your brain is not refreshed. It's not up to par. It's not using all its horsepower. So those are things you can do. What are some other things that can be done? Get up, give yourself a rest between every hour and 90 minutes. And you will get more done and be able to work for a longer period of time. Make sure you get good sleep. Believe it or not, it's not a badge of honor to say I can work on four hours of sleep. Because what most people don't realize is on the sleep you've lost, you can never, quote, catch up on the sleep you've lost. I can, I can attest to that. So those are some techniques for managing it personally. You raised the fact, though, that the attorneys really need to be thinking of themselves as managers. How does this relate to being a manager? Well, one of the ways this relates to being a manager is habits are very important. Okay. Uh, a lot of managers, and, and my managerial ex experience and the C-suite executives I've worked with realize that it's very difficult to manage something consistently that's inconsistent. And as business owners, you've all realized that people are inconsistent. Yes, they can have a fight with their wife or their spouse before they come, or their partner before they come to work. They could have not had a good night's sleep. They could be worried about something with their child. You know, someone could be sick. They could not be feeling well. It's very difficult to manage people's performance so that their performance is consistent. However, if you have good processes in place, those can be managed. Okay. So if you have good, like we've talked about on this show before, you have good policies and procedures and templates and exemplars and everything that the people in your business can follow, 
that helps them to be more consistent. Is that what you're suggesting? Yes. And not only does it help them be more consistent, it affords you the opportunity to hold people accountable because they have they know what the expectations are of them. You know what you need to follow up on. Ideally, what you want to do is create a workplace that you know has the processes in place that will allow the workplace to function when you're not in it. Makes total sense. Think about the stress that's caused you when deep down you believe that it's going to fall apart without you. Yeah, yeah. If you, yeah. If you, if you believe it's going to fall apart without you, you have not done your job as a manager. Right. And this is this is the concept I talk about in the show about where you work for your business when your business is really supposed to be working for you. And that's that sounds like exactly what you're describing. Yeah. And along those lines, it's very important that with confidence, you manage your day and don't let your day manage you. And one of the most important aspects of that is setting priorities. Yes, I would think so. So, you know, at some point, this really requires a decision to change. Is that what you're talking about here? Uh, yes, it takes a conscious effort to change your mindset, to reprioritize. And look, I understand how difficult it is to be in the position of having the dual role of managing your business and seeing yourself as your business's most valuable asset. Yeah. And, you know, from experience, I think we all, everybody can identify one way or another, right? I'm going to start eating better. I'm going to work out more. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to spend more time working on my business instead of being a technician in my business. I'm going to take time out to think about marketing, to think about systems. But all these things are decisions that we seem to, as human beings, have a real hard time. We talk about them, but we really have a hard time making the decision. Do you have any suggestions for a good process to make decisions and make them stick? Uh, yeah, I, I do. It's something that we work with people a lot on. And one of the things that we need to understand is that there's no such thing as not making a decision. Hmm. So we have two choices, change or no change. If we don't make a decision, then we have chosen no change. So just understand one way or another, you're making a choice. Right. Yeah, there is no no decision. And one of the things that I have found particularly helpful in my life and others' managers' lives is having a consistent framework and a repeatable process by which to attack the issue at hand. And oftentimes the first step is the hardest step. And the fear of making a misstep mm -hmm. can be debilitating. So again, what comes into play here? Confidence, believing in ourselves, and making a decision out of confidence, not out of fear. So a good place to begin is by thinking about the following two questions and honestly answering them to yourself. The first question is, 
why have I not done this already? So if you're thinking about a change, the question is, why haven't I made this change, made this decision, made this alteration in the way I do things already? What stopped me in the past? Correct. Okay. And the other is, why do I feel like I need to do this now? Okay. So I'm facing this decision. I want to eat healthier. Why have I not eaten healthier before? And why is it important right now that I start eating healthier? Actually ask myself those two questions. Exactly. So the first question, why have I not done this before? Or why have I not done this already? Its intent is to help you identify and articulate the barriers that go along with implementation in making this choice. You begin to see what are the hurdles. And the second question is, why do I feel the need to do this now? That deals with more of the emotional side, and that's the motivation. The motivation of why am I doing this now? The framing. What makes this worthwhile to do? And understand that when we make change, or we want to try to instill a new habit, motivation is the impetus. It's the gun that gets us going, but habit is what keeps us going. And true success comes from a combination of motivation and volition. We have to want to do it. We have to have the right reason for doing it. And we have to have grit. It's going to take some discipline. And so then where does, you said the key is habit. Where does the habit come from? The habit comes from the discipline of doing. So we want to make a change. Our default position is going to be doing it the old way, not the new way, until we get in the habit of doing it the new way. And in order to help someone build those habits, complete the process, I would suggest making four lists. The first list is making a list of all the factors that have to be true for the project or the decision to be a good one, to turn out well. The second one is make a list of the skills that you don't have that are necessary for success. What don't you have that's needed in the process? Okay. The third one is list all the factors associated with this project or decision that you find fearful. What are you afraid of? And the last one is list all factors potentially affecting the outcome of this project or decision that are out of your control and why they're out of your control. Now, it's not enough to just think about these questions and answers. Mm -hmm. It is very important to write down your answers. And why is that so important? Because it heightens the reality. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, the one question I was about to ask you earlier was, okay, you said to ask these two questions, why haven't I done this already? Why do I feel the need to do this now? And that certainly gave us, as you said, clarity on the hurdles and clarity on the motivation. But you started the whole conversation with decision-making is also about having confidence. And it seems like this process you're talking about, about these lists, 
one, the list of all the factors that have to be true for the decision to be a good one. Two, a list of the skills that I might not, I don't have that are necessary for success. Three, the list of all the factors associated with the project or this decision that I actually fear. And four, a list of all the factors that could affect the outcome that are out of my control. Actually writing this down seems to be a way to take these items out of the world of unknown things to fear and make them concrete and tangible so that they become hurdles instead of fears. Is that kind of where you're going with this? Exactly. It's to concretize general concerns and general fears. And when they become concrete and you can put your finger on them, then you can overcome them. Mm -hmm. But when they're generalized and you can't articulate what they are, you don't know how to deal with them. So you're assuming that there's going to be something that could go wrong that could be a showstopper. Mm -hmm. Well, again, if we circle back, you're assuming there's something that could go wrong. We're not specific. We don't know what it is. And we're living in the future. So we're going to take it out of that loop, that destructive spiral, and make it a positive one. And it's not that all these things are positive, right? It's some of these fears, when you write them down, some of these hurdles, some of these things that could go wrong, they're very real now. But you described it as taking it out of this loop. And this, what I'm understanding from what you're saying is that this loop is sort of the, the circling back to something could go wrong, something could go wrong, rather than, okay, here's the 17 things or five things or three things that could go wrong. How are we going to overcome each and every one of them? Exactly. And you don't have to overcome each and every one of them. By mm -hmm. the way, we should never let perfect hide good. Yes. Because if we're letting perfect hide good, you know what will get done? Very little. Exactly. <laughs> and my, my guess is that your, your audience, simply by the fact that they're listening to this and are open to growth and improvement and are making time to listen to these podcasts, their good is better than the average person's good. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So as we run down towards the end here, I want to make sure that I want to use this process that you've just described in something that's really concrete. So I wanted to ask you, like, does this process of decision making, can this be helpful on deciding, let's say, for instance, which clients to keep and which ones to get rid of, which, which clients we should fire? Yeah, absolutely. So Let's take something very concrete. Do we have metrics by which we can measure every potential client against? Okay. What do we want? What's our success? What's our vision of success? What type of clientele do we want to have? Right. So one of the things I have clients do is write a bill of rights for their clients. What do their clients have a right to expect of representation by their firm, a response within 24 hours, complete transparency, whatever it is you want it to be. But the flip side of that coin that people tend to ignore is what are the requirements you want of your client? Do you want someone that's honest with you? Do you want someone that can afford a certain retainer? Do you want someone that is realistic about the potential outcomes? Do you want someone that's going to be willing to listen 
to bad news. Mm-hmm. So almost like your own bill of rights, your personal bill of rights, your business's bill of rights, what you deserve to expect from your client. And I guess that needs to be enforced by you, right? Exactly. You need the confidence to do that. Because remember, everything that someone says yes to means they say no to something else. Because there's a limit to time. So if you take that client that you're not sure about, well, when the client you're positive about comes along, you may not have the resources to deal with that client. That's a really, really important concept. It kind of goes with the other one that, you know, every there's no such thing as no decision. Um, it's always a decision. And in this case, like you're saying, you know, whenever you decide to take a B client or a C client or a D client, you may be foregoing the chance to take on an A client later on. And so you need to make sure that the clients you take, and quite honestly, the vendors you take and the employees you hire, because it's the same concept for each one, meet your criteria, meet your bill of rights for your business. Right. And that that decision is yours, who you want to work with, what type of business you want to have. But I can tell you this, you must have a written vision of success. Because if you don't know where you want to go, how are you ever going to know if you're getting there? When someone invites you over for dinner and you've never been there, what's the first thing you're going to ask them? What's your address? Because you want to know where you're going. And the other thing that's important to remember, if you want something you've never had, if you want something you've never had, you're going to have to do something you've never done. So step out of your comfort zone. And I strongly recommend that once a day, everybody step out of their comfort zone for five minutes. Can you give an example? I think that's really amazing advice. Can you give an example that you might share uh, as to how people, what do you mean by stepping out of a comfort zone for five minutes in a day? Well, let's say someone doesn't feel comfortable talking about themselves and they want their work to speak for themselves and would like new work to be generated because of that. Well, it doesn't happen that way all the time. So that person needs once a day or needs to try to learn how to frame their strengths in a way that's palatable for them to talk about it. And I always say jokingly that humility is the art of drawing attention to those things about which we are humble. Hmm. So for someone that doesn't like to talk about themselves, they do need to find another way to shine a spotlight on the good things they've done. It doesn't do any good for all your accomplishments to be hidden under a rock. So stepping out of your comfort zone is finding a way to talk about those, at least just for five minutes a day in a conversation. With somebody. With somebody. Or you, you once a week you go out to lunch with someone you might want and you frame it from their perspective about how you can add value to their life and their business. But you do that by helping talk about what you can bring and what success you've had. Absolutely. Martin, this has been such a, I, I, I think we could carry this conversation on for another two hours. I, I'm absolutely fascinated. Um, and this has been a great, great discussion. I thank you so much for agreeing to speak to me and to our listeners uh, on the Unbillable Hour today. Thank you. 
Well, Chris, thank you for giving me the opportunity to be of service to your listeners. And uh, it's something I enjoy very much. Well, thank you again. So this wraps up this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Business Advisory Podcast. Our guest today has been Martin Hurwitz, and you can learn more about him at his email address um, at martin.hurwitz, that's H-U-R-W-I-T-Z, at me.com. And you can also pick that up on the Legal Talk Network website. On LinkedIn, just look for Martin Hurwitz um, in Sarasota, Florida. And uh, Martin's also agreed that I can uh, give out his phone number, uh, which is uh, 941-228-7345. My name, of course, is Christopher Anderson, and I look forward to seeing you next month with another great guest as we learn more about the topics that help us build the law firm business that works for you. Remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again soon. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Join us again for the next edition, right here with Legal Talk Network. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu slash interactive or download PLI's mobile app.